I'm Amber Tresca, and this is About IBD. It's my mission to educate people living with Crohn's disease or ulcerative colitis about their disease and to bring awareness to the patient journey. I'm excited to introduce you to Sneha Dave. Sneha was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis as a child and had surgery while still in high school. Her experiences with IBD as a young person have led her to create two different organizations, the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network and the Health Advocacy Summit. These groups are designed to connect and empower young adults living with IBD or with chronic illness. Sneha has some exciting news to share about the growth of these organizations and how young people in the IBD and the chronic illness community can get involved. Sneha, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. I wonder if you would real quick take me through some of the high points, low points, whatever you want to call them, of, uh, of your disease journey. When were you first diagnosed with IBD? So I was first diagnosed when I was six years old um, with ulcerative colitis. However, like a lot of other IBD patients, I had symptoms um, earlier. So my mom kind of thinks around when I was four or five years old was when I first started um, showing symptoms of ulcerative colitis. Wow, that's so young. So did it take you sort of those two years when symptoms started to get diagnosed? Um, Actually, I was diagnosed fairly quickly. So um, the way I was diagnosed was that my mom found that I kept on having accidents and she's actually a pharmacist. So that definitely helps um, just with her background knowledge of of, um, these sorts of diseases. So she took me to my pediatrician and then I had a scope and then I was diagnosed fairly quickly. Um, But I think what was interesting was that um, both my parents didn't, so my dad is also a physician and he didn't even think to, um, that it would, it could be an inflammatory bowel disease, especially because I was so young um, at that time. So I think that, you know, especially when you're four or five years old, diarrhea and those sorts of symptoms are kind of not normal, but can be kind of seen as as maybe growing up a little bit later. So, so I know that you have had surgery. Can you tell me what surgery you had and when you had it, and sort of why that decision was made? Yeah. So, um, I had flare ups from elementary school to middle school, um, and then I was on periods of steroids and different sorts of um, treatment changes. But my disease didn't really get worse until. Um, I entered sixth grade. So that summer I was in a play and I was doing a lot of sorts of activities. Um, And then all of a sudden when I entered middle school, it kind of all shifted and I began to experience having to use the restroom a lot of times during the day. And um, I slowly started declining in my health. So from sixth to eighth grade, um, I started partial schooling and I was in the hospital quite a few times a year. And so I was, it, I was trying all these sorts of treatments. We tried natural therapy. We went to California, um, and we were just really trying to avoid surgery a lot because we didn't really know the end. The end, I guess. So what would happen after surgery? Um, it's obviously, because it's a little bit of a tough decision. Because once you have your colon removed, you can't really get it back. I kind of progressively started getting worse, and so I had the pick line and all these sorts of things just that were keeping me alive. In the beginning of my freshman year of high school, I weighed 60 pounds. So my weight was declining 
really, really fast. Um, I would go get infusions every week and I was just kind of having this maintenance therapy to try to really keep me alive for um, that first first part of, of high school. And then my freshman year, so the middle of my freshman year, I had to get my colectomy. Um, it was kind of in, inevitable at that point. I think we were just trying to delay it just because of that uncertainty. And so I had the full removal of my large intestine for the first surgery. And then the second surgery was when I had my J pouch built and I still had my ostomy. And then the third surgery I had was to um, reconnect everything. And then I didn't have my ostomy anymore. And so now I live with a J pouch. I can't imagine what your parents went through, (laughs) not to mention what you went through at that time. What were some of the challenges that you experienced trying to be in school and then also dealing with all of this? What kind of sort of socially, how were your grades, things like that? I think that period of severe, when I had that severe flare up from middle school to the beginning of high school, I didn't really think about being very social because that was not my, I guess, priority. And I was just so sick that I just much rather prefer you know, sleeping in and staying in bed than, than, you know, going out with friends and doing things that normal middle schoolers and high schoolers would do. But when I came back from my third surgery, so that was my sophomore year of high school, it was crazy to be back in, in the mainstream kind of school system because I was dealing with people who had matured, whereas I had kind of stayed back a few years. And it was kind of overwhelming to have to deal with all, you know, the typical high school drama and the typical dramas that adolescents, I guess, normally face. And um, just being back where I felt like I was still a middle schooler and having to learn all these um, different social things and just ways to, you know, navigate being in school while being a young adult and trying to get involved in extracurriculars and all these sorts of things. Did you have any assistance in sort of managing all of that? Yeah. So I had, um, so my school actually provided tutors So it was really helpful that they would come to my house instead of me having to go to school. Um, Because when I came back from my third surgery, it wasn't like, you know, I was completely normal again. I had to readjust to going to school like eight hours a day and having to, you know, keep up with homework and all these sorts of things. But somehow I still was able to graduate in the top 20 out of my class of about 550 people. So I think my school was especially accommodating and yeah, I, I think relatively I had a had a great school. I'm nodding my head. People can't see, but <laughs> I'm nodding my head at you because I was diagnosed at 16. And so I recognize a lot of what you're saying. Yeah. I also had tutors just building up your stamina after getting out of the hospital. And I didn't have surgery until I was in my 20s. So I wasn't dealing with post-surgical. But uh-huh. even just getting back to the point where you could get up, get ready, go to school right, is... Right pretty monumental. So it does not surprise me that you graduated, even with all of the challenges that you were facing, that you did so well in high school, because you have gone on to create two different (laughs) groups that are becoming increasingly well-known and important in the IBD space and in the chronic illness space. I believe that you started the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network first. Is that right? Yes. Okay. And when did you, um, well, let's take a step back. And Mm -hmm. why did you decide to create it? And what was the trajectory of this like for you? 
I created the Crohn's and Clitus Young Adults Network. It was formerly called the Crohn's and Clitus Teen Times when I was a freshman in high school. So I was just trying to find a way to connect my Indiana community of young adults with inflammatory bowel diseases. So I had been to Camp Oasis and I thought that was a really great experience, but I didn't really see like a year long sort of program that could connect us all. And, you know, the nearest people for me lived maybe an hour away or four hours away. So it wasn't really possible at that age, especially to be traveling and meeting and having that um, year long support component. And so me and my late best friend, his name was Corey Lane. He passed away from um, Crohn's disease and osteosarcoma while I was a freshman in high school. So um, we decided to create the Crohn's and Colitis Teen Times, which was a newsletter that we wanted to just distribute um, within Indiana. So these were hard copies of newsletters. They weren't emails. And I think at that time, even hard copies were kind of sort of fading out, but they were still a thing um, <laughs> of sending out newsletters. And so um, we started doing that and then we built a website. And then unfortunately, he did not live long enough to see the first issue, but he, um, I'm sure he would have been really excited to to see where it's at right now. But we built a website and then we started getting inquiries from really all over the nation of people wanting to subscribe for our newsletter. So we turned digital. And then as I went through high school and I was navigating all of my other surgeries, I kind of put the Crohn's and Clytus teen times on hold just because I was facing too many other of my personal challenges. But my freshman year of college, when I um, started to kind of see this need to continue, especially because I had so many of so many people reaching out to me, asking me if they could find a way to get involved in the advocacy space, I realized that a really powerful way to connect the young adult community and give them a platform could be through creating a fellowship program. So this fellowship program could be a way to, you know, actually train the advocates so that they don't have to necessarily feel like they just have to write all the time or just share their story. Um, rather, they'd have the tools. And so this fellowship program, we are currently in our pilot year of. And so basically what it is, is our fellows get trained by monthly speakers. So we have, and actually Amber <laughs> was a monthly speaker just this, just a couple, just a week ago, probably actually. But um, yeah, so by either advocates or people who have a very specific knowledge. And so that's been really cool. And we also provide a stipend as well as they also write for the website and share tips. So um, an example of an article that was just produced by one of our fellows, Aaron, was ma managing college in Crohn's on a budget. So just talking about ways that she was able to, you know, budget her Remicade co-pays plus, um, you know, groceries and having social life in college. So just things that are really specific. I think that only our age group is kind of able to get out, get at for um, the benefit of our community. And so um, that was our pilot year. And then we got funding to be able to recently take our fellows this upcoming year to a um, national IBD conference. We haven't exactly decided which one that will be, but yeah. And so we're really excited to grow the program, bring in more fellows and um, provide more opportunities. Right. So you have applications open. They're open right now. We're recording in October, but yes. they will be open until the end of November. 
2019. Okay. And we'll put all the information in the show notes and I'll put it up on my website and we'll do all of that so people can learn about it and can apply. I'm curious to take a step back to the teen times. What were the type of things that were in your newsletter? (laughs) Yeah. So looking back, it kind of makes me laugh a little bit because they're very fun types of things. So for example, I mean, we had some kind of more serious content, but we had, so I would interview people um, at an IBD conference in Indiana and it'd be like, what's your favorite thing to eat before you have a scope? Or what's your favorite thing to, like, what's your favorite drink or favorite popsicle or whatever to have before the day before the scope? So just like kind of fun questions like that. Um, But we also did interviews with like a sleep doctor. So um, talking about the importance of sleep with IBD and then we also had, um, you know, interviews from like a GI doctor. And then we also did interviews of young patients themselves. So it was just kind of a cool way, especially when it was just Indiana based to see the Hoosier community with IBD and just know that there are people in this area in the kind of the same age range that have the same issues. That's really amazing. I'm in awe. I can only imagine for myself, what that would have been like to be part of such a group when I was a teenager and did not know anyone else who lived with the disease and was navigating so much on my own. So this is really wonderful that you have created this and been able to sustain it so long and turn it into something really big. This year, you guys are looking to go to a conference. When you and the fellows go, what do you think some of the things you might do while you're there are? Do you think you'll just go to sessions? Do you think that you'll have meetings? Are you looking to set up something with maybe some of the IBDologists that are there? So um, what are your plans, Neha? Yeah, Yeah, I mean, yeah, first of all, I'm just really excited to be able to bring in an international community of young patients together um, to to experience a conference that's kind of really for them. And I think, you know, when I personally go to conferences, I don't see enough young people there, um, you know, being able to ask questions or just being able to, you know, soak in all the content, which is really, really important. And really, um, I think a challenge that we're facing in the, the, the chronic illness advocacy space in general is that we're not including young patients enough. And so what I really hope for from a specific conference that we go to this year is for our fellows to have the opportunity to relay what they've learned to other young patients. So unfortunately, we don't have the ability to accommodate all the people that would want to be part of the fellowship program, um, hopefully one day in the future. But I really want um, our fellows to be producing content to share with those who are not in attendance. And I also really want um, the fellows to be going to these sessions and asking questions about how various decisions are going to affect them and our generation. And I think a huge thing for me is also health literacy. So how can um, young people start to become more aware of like the dose of something that they're taking or how frequently they're taking and how to ask questions to doctors and and um, you know, PAs and nurse practitioners and all these sorts of things. So I think it's just a way to to not only learn, but also have their voices empowered, but also to to share with the rest of the world that, you know, yeah, we're young, but we're here and we really want to um, be a part of the, the decisions that are being made at these conferences. I agree. Of course, patients 
have only begun being invited to these conferences in in larger numbers. I think there were patients here and there that would go, but it's only been a few years since patients have been included. And now some of the conferences actually will have patients on panels so that we can sort of flip that a little bit and have the physicians or the nurse practitioners or other people that treat patients with IBD understand more about the patient experience. What do you think the impact of having younger patients come to a medical conference might be, or what do you hope it might be for the healthcare professionals that are there? And then also the industry people too, I think. So I think the first word that comes to my mind is accountability. So I think since we are really the next generation of patients and we're, we're moving into this different stage of our lives because we are young adults, um, I think we really want to make health professionals aware that, you know, we, we are going to, our generation is going to be very health literate, if not more than the previous generation. And we are going to ask questions and we're going to expect, you know, you to, to take the time with us and to really engage in conversations about our health. Specifically for the industry, certainly, I think accountability is even more important for me. So talking about, you know, issues like drug pricing, for example, or um, navigating insurance and how to make that easier for for our, our generation. And so I think one thing that I'm really passionate about, and I know many other advocates are passionate about, is um, changing the way the healthcare system works. Very broad terms, of course, that I'm speaking at. Do you also see a role for your fellows in political advocacy and working towards either getting behind some of the bills that are already being kicked around in our government or in their local governments or in helping to introduce new legislation? Yeah, I think, um, I mean, I'm really excited for our fellows to hopefully have the opportunity to, to speak out more. Um, I think one thing that I would be, you know, as a whole, another word, again, that comes to me is probably transparency. So I think within the healthcare system and even with a lot of patient advocacy relationships with the industry or just, you know, different for-profit members has to be a little bit more transparent than it actually is. And I think that, you know, our generation does in general demand more transparency. And so I'd really hope whether, you know, we have fellows from Canada, UK, you know, international audience that we as a whole advocate for transparency when we're working with, if we're working with the industry or if we're working with health professionals. Right. And we can also learn from one another because things are obviously very different from one country to the next in terms of how healthcare is dealt with, paid for, access, all of these things. So that's really great to to bring all the, the different voices internationally together. Sneha, you are also involved and started another group called the Health Advocacy Summit, which is broader, goes beyond IBD and includes more patients with chronic illness. Tell me about this group and what you guys are, are, are doing and what you hope to achieve. So I created the Health Advocacy Summit when I was a freshman in high school. And once again, you might see a theme here, but I just wanted to connect young adults in Indiana with um, invisible conditions because 
I really realized that even with the Crohn's and Clytus Young Adults Network, there were people reaching out to us that did not have IBD, but had an invisible condition. The first year in October 2017, I brought together 14 attendees that were based out of Indiana. And we had a discussion about vocational rehabilitation. So we had a vocational rehabilitation counselor come and talk about navigating the education system and workplace. So as you transition from high school to college and college to the workplace and workplace disclosure and just all the logistics about that. And so after the our first summit, which is October 2017, we built a website and then we had a couple people that were interested in starting a summit in their area. So last year we expanded to Texas, um, North Carolina, as well as our Indiana summit. And then this year, 2019, we added on California as an additional location. So we had our California summit on September 21st, 2019. We had our Indiana summit on September 28th of this year. And we have um, Texas on uh, Saturday, October 19th of this year. In 2020, we're looking to host a summit in those states, but also expand to um, Massachusetts, New York, and um, Florida, and potentially Colorado as well. This is just a massive amount of work. Do you consider yourself a high energy person? Um, you know, I don't. Someone actually asked me that yesterday. I, <laughs> I definitely get really excited very quickly. So I think I, I get a lot of energy from other people. So if people are like emailing me asking me how they can get involved, that just really excites me because that shows me that there's such a big community out there that needs support. And it's really cool to be that facilitator. And I must say that I have an incredible, incredible partner with Health Advocacy Summit. Her name is Sydney Reed. She's our operations director. She has done all of our branding and she's been a really, really awesome um, addition. She reached out to me actually in fall of 2018 asking to start a summit in California Um, But she became a lot more than um, a summit director, and she's really helped take the Health Advocacy Summit to the next level. Yeah, I I was able to meet Sydney recently. Yeah. The Health Advocacy Summit had a showing of a documentary called Becoming Incurable, which was wonderful to see. I'm so glad I saw it. I would love everyone to see this documentary. Is there anything that we haven't covered yet that you would like to add? Yeah, I think one thing that I've kind of, or there's like a couple of things that I've been thinking about a lot um, recently. And I think one of um, the sessions in our Indiana Summit next year, we're going to focus on um, a lot about imposter syndrome with a chronic condition. And so that's just something that I think that especially as you're going through the education system and trying to look for jobs in the workplace for young patients, I think imposter syndrome can be a real barrier. And um, that's something that we're really trying to combat with Health Advocacy Summit is show the people who come and the people who are part of this network that like, yeah, you have a chronic condition, but we don't want that to hold you back. And we really want you to be, you know, the next doctors or, you know, whatever you want to be. And we, and I think that's like a huge, huge goal of, of Health Advocacy Summit now, especially is to to get these young patients to where they, you know, had originally wanted to be before they got sick or where they thought they could never be. And I think another huge component that we're that I am really passionate about is recreational therapy. 
And so I think that, um, you know, I'm a huge, huge advocate for getting outdoors. I do a lot of trail maintenance work and um, I love to to climb and do all these altitude altitude adventures. But um, I think especially for chronic illness patients, it can be kind of scary to be active sometimes, me included. I can get kind of worried about what's going to happen, my fatigue levels um, after I, I exercise. But I think that's something else that I'm hoping to add on to Health Advocacy Summit is um, bringing that component of rec therapy. Right. So tell me about Mount Kilimanjaro though. Uh, yeah. So I had always wanted to do like a high altitude adventure and um, Mount Kilimanjaro is by no means an easy mountain to climb, but it's it's not like a super technical mountain. So I figured that would be a really great start to be able to to climb that mountain. Um, and so my family, my, my whole entire family was really hesitant because they love hiking and we've always been kind of an outdoorsy family, but they've never really thought about, you know, going 19,000 plus feet. And so, um, so when I proposed the idea, they were like, say like a couple of years ago, you weren't even able to really walk up the stairs by yourself. So I think you need to like take some time and like, you know, replenish whatever nutrients you need. And so, I did that like super, super fast. I would train so, so, so hard my freshman and my freshman year of college just to, to be able to even think about doing that. And then I believe my sophomore year of college, yeah, that's December of my sophomore year of college, I um, was able to reach the top of Mount Kilimanjaro. And um, I'm really interested in climbing other mountains as well, although it's quite expensive. So I'm going to wait a little bit <laughs> for my next adventure. <laughs> that makes sense. I am curious about how you fit it all in. Do you have any established self-care routines that you engage in in order to make space for all of these wonderful things in your life? I do place an importance on physical activity, at least for me, over um, you know this sort of this the, the advocacy work, because I think it's really important to establish that time for yourself. Um, so like I'll take calls maybe from 7am to, you know, 10am, but right when the rock climbing gym opens at 10am, I am going to be there for probably like 30 or 40 minutes at least, and then carry on with the rest of my day. But, um, I think, you know, being a college student, I think sleep is something that I could work on. Yeah. Unfortunately, it's, it's not possible right now. So, <laughs> I get that. And let me tell you, uh, the sleep yeah. thing doesn't really get any better as you get older. Yeah. Uh, so <laughs> yeah, I, we could probably all do with paying more attention to our sleep. Absolutely. Do you have any advice for young people who are diagnosed with IBD and just starting out on their journey? Yeah, I mean, I think personally, it's it's a little bit harder to be diagnosed, um, you know, during adolescence than it is in childhood, just because there's just so much happening in terms of transition. And so I think the biggest thing is that, you know, don't have that imposter syndrome. I think things will definitely get better. And I think if you keep on working, whether that be very slowly, but just don't stop things that you love is my biggest advice because it will get better and you will absolutely be able to get back to it. And, you know, you might even get back quite a bit stronger as cliche as that sounds. So for example, you know, I've recently had a, a setback with um, some symptoms that I've been having from an infusion that I'm on. And so I'm only able to run two miles, whereas last, you know, in the spring of 2019, I was able to run 
like six to eight miles every other day. And so it's, it's been quite a setback and, you know, I could stop or I could just do those two miles instead. So I think it's just going at your own pace and knowing that there are so many others who are in the same situation and can, you know, get out of it and, and be the same way that they were before. I think that's amazing advice. And I love that you're focusing on the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Because again, like sleep, that's not something that usually gets better as you get older as well. I right, think it's right. a constant companion for so many of us. Right. So thanks for drawing attention to it. Yeah, definitely. Sneha, it was wonderful to connect with you again. And thank you for your advocacy, obviously, and all of the work that you're doing. It has given me so much hope personally. And I know that it is giving young people and others all over the world now hope in terms of IBD and how we're going to go on to have better treatments and better understanding and increased public awareness. So before we close out, I just want to go over some of the social media information so that everybody can find the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network and the Health Advocacy Summit online. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, so for Instagram, the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network is just at CCYA Network. For Instagram, for Health Advocacy Summit, it's at um, Health Advocacy Summit. And for Facebook, for Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network, it's at CCYA Network. And then Facebook for Health Advocacy Summit is at Health Advocacy Summit. And the Twitter for Health Advocacy Summit is at HA underscore summit. And the Twitter for Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network is at CCYN Network. And then we're also on LinkedIn. So <laughs> you can check us out there too. Oh, yeah, that's right. You're on LinkedIn as well. Oh, yeah. perfect. What great recall. I'm so jealous of your young synapses. I know, right? <laughs> it will. Let's just say that it will. It will. Yeah, sure. Cool. You'll yeah. always be able to remember everything. Sure. <laughs> That's the thing that happens. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> thank you so much, Sneha. Yeah, and I will you. put all of the information in the show notes and on my website. And we will make sure that young people can find you and get involved with the fellowship program mm -hmm. and get involved with the summit. So thanks. Great. Thank you so much, Amber. Hey, super listener. Special thanks to Sneha Dave for everything she does for the chronic illness community and for taking time out of her busy schedule to talk to me about her work. Please do take a few minutes to look at the show notes or the episode 58 page on aboutibd.com to get the links to follow the Crohn's and Colitis Young Adults Network and the Health Advocacy Summit on social media. Young community members will want to apply for the fellowship program or the summits, and older community members can help by serving as mentors and by sharing the great work these young people are doing on social media. I love bringing you this content, and you can support me in return by sharing it with others and by leaving a review of my show in your favorite podcast app. Here's a taste of what's coming up on the next About IBD. I would love it if women got past that guilt and instead viewed this as a decision I'm making that's one of the first choices I can make as a mother that's in the best interest of my baby. Thanks for listening. And remember, until next time, I want you to know more about IBD.